And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' recent play. From the frustrating losses to the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks, the downright infuriating loss to the Detroit Pistons, and the bounce-back domination of the Charlotte Hornets, going over everything from the bench to DeAndre Jordan to Doc Rivers to whether or not James Harden is physically capable of being the superstar the Sixers need. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, Derek. The I'm a little confused about this uh, this basketball team right yeah. now. Yeah. So uh, I guess real quick, get out of the way. First of all, I want to apologize. I'm a little under the weather, a little bit of no shit. So if I'm real annoying to listen to, I'm fine. Like I feel fine. But like if I'm annoying to listen to, I want to apologize. <laughs> I know I'm annoying anyway, but I will be extra annoying today. You know, this past week or so of games, you had the losses against contenders in the Suns and the Bucks, which were frustrating. And I think maybe showed why the Sixers, you know, some of the weaknesses, why the Sixers might be fringe contenders or or maybe someone you don't completely believe in, but have some upside. Bench, Doc Rivers, um, all kinds of stuff. DeAndre ties into the bench, but he gets his own extra mention. And then you sort of watch them against the Pistons. And you thought, well, shit, do I have to reevaluate the foundation? Like, there was a little bit of like, whoa, what the hell did I just watch? And then they came out and demolished the Hornets and proved to you that against the right team, who's probably playing with the wrong scheme, and when the Sixers make all of their shots, they can look unbeatable. So I guess we'll just take a step back. What was sort of like your biggest takeaway over the games over the last week or so? I think my biggest difference from the consensus was that I was more encouraged by that Bucks game than most people, I would say. Like, yes, they screwed up those Paul Millsap only minutes, which of course you're going to screw up Paul Millsap only yeah. minutes. What, are they going to work? Newsflash, 37-year-old can't defend Giannis. It was really shocking, but yes, I agree. I agree. And it was obviously just in the second half of that game. But, like, to me... I don't know. Budenholzer coached that game like it was a playoff game. Doc did not necessarily, and I'm sure there are a bunch of jokes that, oh, well, Doc will just lose <laughs> it anyway because it's a playoff game. But I don't, like, that was the type of mistake I don't think Doc would make in the playoffs. Like, of at least he might play the bad backup center. I'm not sure he would match his minutes up with Giannis. That was no, my, I walked away from that thinking, like, if that's a playoff game, is Joel defending Giannis for at least, you know, 20, 30 possessions of that game? I think probably. And that's another card. They just didn't play that at yeah. all. And like, honestly, I think that's a very easy card to play considering we've the seen Sixer- Yeah, we've seen like Tobias against the big center is not horrible. Like they they that's a workable solution when uh when shit gets real come playoff time if you want Joel against a, a downhill driver like Giannis. And then they 
played that Pistons game and it was hard to still be encouraged about the Bucks game because it was so, so bad. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, we're not like the, we were right podcast. That's a, that's a different Sixers podcast, but I do feel like we were pretty early on the, why in the hell aren't, isn't everyone just switching everything? Uh, that's and the I, biggest thing. I, I think we started, you know, it's, you started seeing it more and more where teams would switch the, you know, Harden Harris pick and rolls or the Harden uh, Yang screens. And finally the Pistons were just like, fuck it. We're switching everything. And, you know, I don't, I'm not sure every team can do that. First of all, you know, Ike Stewart is, you know, he's a guy that we always said, you know, he's actually a pretty decent defender. He just has no chance against Joel. Wait a uh, minute. Did you just call him Ike Stewart? Yeah. He, uh, he and I are on a nickname basis, <laughs> but we always said like he can switch. He can move his feet. He just has no shot against Joel. Um, and he ate Harden up. He ate Harden up and you know, they have some pretty big wings and they gave them just a second to send help defenders Joel's way. And I do think we saw like the worst version. I, I said to see the other game. We saw, um, you know, sort of like the 2017 version of Joel Embiid handling double teams against the Pistons. Yep. And that didn't help. Um, you had a bunch of shooters who were hesitant and that does, that just makes them more willing to throw double teams. There's a lot of stuff that sort of like combined to not just the fact that Harden couldn't beat anyone off the dribble, but also to make that even worse. But that's the fear. Like, that's the fear that right now, James Harden just doesn't look like he can take very many people off the dribble consistently. And if you switch everything and you're willing to live with whatever Joel Embiid, you know, whatever version of hell Joel Embiid puts you through on that switch, I'm not sure Harden can punish that the way you need him to punish that. And when that happens, you get to the Sixers into a lot of their worst tendencies from Harden the ISO ball, which doesn't really work all that. I know the numbers say they do, but I guess playoff competition, I'm not sure works at a high enough level. There's no ball movement, no player movement. Joel Embiid turns into a turnover machine. It just looked awful. And I don't want to overreact too much. That being said, it's not just one game. It is that James Harden just hasn't looked physically like he can beat very many people off the dribble overall. And when teams trap, it looks great because James Harden is a skilled and smart player. When teams don't trap, and I think more and more, especially in playoffs, you're going to see teams not trap. That offense, which needs to be damn near perfect, doesn't look like it is, or at least more frequently isn't. That is undoubtedly the biggest takeaway from the week. Like the the idea of a team with the capable personnel switching one to five is just horrifying. I mean, that Pistons game was that bad. Like Harden, the reason you got him is that you couldn't switch a pick and roll with him and Joe, uh, him and Joe. And now I think like, when teams switch that, you really have to lean into the Joe part of that switch. But like, that's a that's a problem when Harden can't dust uh, Ike Stewart as you uh, as you dubbed him. I just yeah, it's uh, it's concerning. And then you know you see them play the Charlotte Hornets yesterday, who are one of the weird like decent team, but like literally make like grade school type risks on defense and like they just. Is that like not I, frequently used for Isaiah? Is that not frequently used for a shortened version of Isaiah? Like, am I going nuts? No, I know I think that you, he doesn't go by it, but like, it didn't seem that completely absurd. No, I, I think it is used for Isaiah. I don't know. I'm <laughs> my, my my brain is kind of scrambled right now. Honestly, <laughs> that should be the title of this pod. The, my the brain Ike. is scrambled. That's what the Sixers do to us. No, I, I was going to say the the Ike Stewart. Oh, okay. Hour maybe. Uh, 
so yeah, I mean, like you play a team like Charlotte who plays what, like drop coverage and Harden absolutely eats that alive. Like I think Embiid could have broke Wilt's record yesterday if, if they kept just running pick and roll and having him dive. Like it was that pocket pass was there every single time they ran it. So I don't, you know, it's funny, like Harden at this point to me is just, if you give him a type of coverage where his passing and his brain is required, he's going to eat that thing up. But his body, if that, if that's what's required, if his legs to get past somebody is the, the most necessary part of this, yes, he can do that from time to time. Like I thought in the beginning of that Bucks game, it was especially encouraging. He got Chris Middleton on a bunch of switches and he lit him up. That that's what was surprising about the Pistons game. The Bucks game, he looked pretty good one on one. Um, it really does seem like and look, Middleton's not the quickest in the world, but like he's it not does horrible. He's not either. horrible, yeah. It seems like this is a, a little bit of a day to day thing, which is part of the reason why I think that long term look, this the contract's gonna be freaking terrifying no matter what. I do think there's a chance you can see a better version of James Harden next year. It's just you won't be able to know that until you bring all the money to him in the world, and that's it's terrifying. It's terrifying. That's anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's the hope, hope for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, he, he just does not. It is so funny too that I guess those those four point plays just add up when they happen because you're right. The numbers say that his ISOs are good, excellent. In fact, like in terms of efficiency, and. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't feel that way. Considering like one out of every two nights, it just seems like he doesn't have the legs to get by people. Um, I saw James Harden is currently in the 93rd percentile as a score. That's not even including his passing as a score. He is averaging 1.129 points per possession, which is in the 93rd percentile. It does not feel like that at all. Now, look, part of that, he's shooting 40% from the field on those. With a 10% difference in effective field goal percentage, because almost all of them are step-back threes at this point. Um, that's really, if he's making a basket off of them, it feels like all of them are step-back threes. And also, he gets the free-throw line on 30% of those possessions, which is just absurd. So yeah, it is one of those, I, I think the next closest in terms of, and this is like just on isolation. So if the 30% free-throw rate seems low, it, for an isolation possession, it's not. I think the next closest is maybe like 20% of the possessions. Like he is getting the free throw line way more. And part of that, you know, he seeks out contact more often and better than almost anyone. But when he's not getting those calls or that step back's not going in, it's not looking pretty. And when you get to the playoffs, teams are going to have more players who can switch, who can defend him without fouling or at least foul less frequently and who can contest those step backs. We sort of saw like that's a lot what a lot of people were saying when James Harden was in his prime and his playoff performances weren't up to snuff. Well, he doesn't look like he's near his physical prime right now. And yeah, it's it's scary. scary. I mean, is he in the 93rd percentile too of like barfing up a shot and then it turning into a basket on the other end because it's so bad? And- he's one of the worst at rim fin- high usage at rim finishers in the league right now. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to reconcile that. Yeah, I, I guess the the step backs and the the four point plays are just overriding, but it does not feel like that like sound of an offense. And yeah, like look, they, they had a couple of really good offensive games this week, but like you said, this team for this year, they don't have enough good players and they don't have enough good um, defenders to like win games a hundred to ninety seven or whatever it is. Like 
They need to be clicking on all cylinders offensively. And that's why the Detroit game is just horrifying because they switched. And not only did the Sixers, like, not only did they score, what, what did they end up with? I forget how many points right now. Whatever. They, not only did they get stuck in the mud offensively, the process was so bad. It wasn't like after the game, like, oh, we just missed shots. No, you played stagnant hard and iso ball with like a version of Harden that looked like 30% of his peak self. That doesn't work. And like you said, like Embiid had 37 points too. The process behind his like points were bad for the most part too. Like he's posting up like smaller guards at the free throw line and turning the ball over and as tunnel vision, it's like, yeah, it's exactly. It's like the two years ago version of him where he's not as aware of the entire yeah. team as, uh, as he is right now. I don't know, you know, and then you have Joel after yesterday's game saying we need to play like this more often. And he, he's right. Like, I, I think he, uh, I thought he handled, you know, I watched his press conference in Detroit after, uh, after the game. And I thought he actually handled it pretty well saying like, look, I, I've been on teams that have made midseason trades before. Sometimes it takes a little while. Um, that was the le- uh, less notable press conference of the, uh, of the Detroit game for sure. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just, James Harden in general right now to me is just he's just trick or treat. Like you yeah. just don't know what you're gonna get from night yep. to night. No, he is is very and again, he's gonna have some nights where the step back's working. He's getting the foul calls. He's beating some people off the dribble and the ISOs are gonna look real good. It's just that variance is tough to know what you're gonna get on a night to night basis. And like I said, my concern, which is in part because the Sixers have so little um, you know, margin for error offensively. Because they're not going to win very many games. And look, we're this deep into the podcast. Their perimeter defense is a disaster. That's why their offense has to be incredible night in and night out and against every every opponent. Um, and right now, I think you're going to run into an opponent who can switch more often than not, who's going to find the right recipe. And I'm uncertain if the Sixers have enough counters to overcome that in a seven-game series. And look, I think right now the Sixers are probably the type of team, a little bit like the Brooklyn Nets, where they could come out and beat any team in a series. They could beat Miami in a series. They could beat Brooklyn or Milwaukee in a series. I could, I'm not going to make them the favorite on some of those, but I could see them winning any series. I'm just not sure I can see them winning three series in a row without finding out a team that can exploit or take away what they're, they're, they're really good at. Um, it's, and look, it could change. Uh, this is very much driven by James Harden. Just doesn't look like James Harden right now. Um, but it's not, I certainly, like, I think when they made the trade, I think my championship odds were, like, maybe 10%. I'd drop that down to, like, 5. Like, it's it just James Harden just doesn't look right. And it's, I mean, the variance is so crazy because when he is on, it's, like, 25 points and a half, like that Clippers game. Like, it's yeah, an insane yep, number. It is. it is. And he's, like, it's completely dominant, and it's, you know, it's like 25 points on like five shots too. Like he finds a way to do that with with eight assists and one turnover. But it, yeah, the bad games are, are unfortunately they're starting to stick out a little bit. And that's, you know, like, look, he was really bad in that Phoenix game a week ago as well, too. Like if if you get I wouldn't you don't even need like the like I'm saying, like the great version of Harden that you see that scores 25 points a game. Derek's uh, is coughing his uh, his lungs out on. Uh, Look, I am a professional with the mute button. What can I say? Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, but if they got even like a decent version of Harden in that game, I think they would have beat the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix. Like yeah. they got a a pretty a very good MB game, 
I thought they got a very good like Tobias and bench game and Harden just didn't have it against that team. Like he couldn't separate against Devin Booker, for example. So, you know, it's uh one of those things. And you you hear Doc after the games too, like he says things like, We need to start driving to score. And it's like, you know, Harden when he is drawing those fouls, it's I mean, it's a boon to your offense. Like you, you have these great games. But when he's not, it's going to be super, super frustrating. And it's yeah. Yeah, and that's that's part of the concern with him not getting by people. Look, he might still be able to draw a foul every now and then on the drives, even if he doesn't get by his defender, because he's a very talented foul drawer, even if that can be um, infuriating to watch sometimes, even as a Sixers fan, but certainly as an opponent. But by not getting by that first level of defense, you're not really creating the scoring opportunities for others, which again, right now, James Harden's biggest and most impactful skill might be his passing. And if you're not forcing those rotations, he's just not the same version of James Harden that he used to be. And we'll have plenty of podcasts, I'm sure, in the offseason where we debate whether he can get that back. And I do think the hamstring is part of it. He's also 32 going on 33 with a lot of miles and not excellent shape. So there will be a very healthy discussion on what you can expect for him in this next contract. But dealing with the realities of right now, I think the hamstring is impacting him and it is impacting his game and his consistency and what you can project forward in the playoffs. And again, he might get a week off there before the first round come back as a fresh player and we can all move on and pretend that this podcast never happened. I'm concerned. My concern level is raised. What did you make of, uh, of doc saying, Hey, uh, you know, the bench didn't get a lot of shots. That was, uh, it was James. Yeah, There was a little debate over whether or not he blamed James for the bench, not producing or just explained it as James taking shots. So the bench didn't get many. Kind of the same thing, I think. Well, it's kind of the same thing, but when you go back and listen to the rest of the, the the press conference, like he was complaining about lack of ball movement and hero ball, and when you put the two of them together, it didn't seem like it was it was that controversial to say that he was not happy with James Harden. Again, I wasn't there. I watched it on TV, but he wasn't wrong. That was, you know, again, when you switch, you can draw James Harden into some bad tendencies, and yeah. sometimes that will work when he's drawing those fouls and making those step backs, but certainly I enjoy watching. And I think the, it's better for the Sixers when you get the version of James Harden that's being trapped on the perimeter and, and can make those passes. Cause he is still a fantastic passer. That wasn't the game we saw. Um, yeah. yeah I and know. I mean, th- those tendencies, you know, three, four years ago, James Harden. Fine. Yeah. It's, it's Fine. ugly basketball, but I mean, he's he's gonna make it worthwhile. <laughs> like, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna roast people on those switches. Well, and then you'd get those skip passes the corner with a bunch of really good corner three point shooters, and now you're getting James Harden not going by anyone and and skip passing it to Mr. T. Slybel. It's a little different. Yeah. Well, I I do think Doc was right. Like, I I do think the no the he wasn't wrong. Of- it was a little bit of an interesting strategy. Um. Oh yeah. But he wasn't wrong. Oh, I, I think he was. Yeah, he was definitely blaming Harden, but it was true in that like. I think Harden was the bigger culprit more so than the bench. And I'm a little sick of like people talking about the bench production versus the Sixers. Like the way the Sixers are going to win is they're going to score 125 points and their starters are going to score like 95 of those. That's how it's going to work. I I don't get, I I saw an interview on, I didn't, I didn't actually listen to the whole thing. I just saw a clip on Twitter. So maybe I'm reacting incorrectly, but it was a pretty long quote. Of them, like, well, you got to send Tyrese Maxey to the bench so you can get more bench scoring. No, it's no like, you what don't. Are you, 
the goal isn't to get an equal distribution of scoring from your bench and your starters. And this, thankfully, knock on wood a little bit, Doc isn't bringing in all bench units anyway. The goal is just to score more. This is going to sound really reductive and stupid. The goal is to score more points than your opposition. So you want to find a, a starting five that works well because they're going to get you know 15 to 20 minutes per game playing the first and third quarters and probably closing out a lot. And you need them to be able to compete against the other team's um, starting lineup. But you want to have combinations on the court that work well at all times. And that means staggering your starters. So setting Maxi the bench, you brought this up the other day at the game. It just means Maxi's playing less. I don't know how this solves any problem. You're not going to score more points by playing Tyrese Maxi less and bringing Danny Green or someone in the start. It's just, uh, by the way, if I have to watch Danny Green and Matisse Leibel start, like the lack of dribbling is probably going to drive me insane, but it's not going to help any. You're just making a unit. And right now, I think the starting unit, I don't have the numbers in front of me and shame on me. The starting unit's playing really well. That's not your problem. And Sending Tyrese Max to the bench doesn't fix the bench because he's playing with the bench. It, uh, I don't know why we're doing this in 2022. I really don't. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I am... First off, starting in the NBA is like a sign of status. I, I am sympathetic to that being like, if you want to say, hey, that's bullshit. Come off the bench. Like, it, it works better for, the, for us. Take a look at Manu Ginobili. He's about to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Like, he did it. It made sense for the Spurs. It doesn't make sense for this team because they have two of these guys on the court at all times. Like Maxi right. functions right. as a bench player and he's very good with the starters as well. It just, it doesn't make sense. And they're, uh, look, their bench, it's George Niang, it's Danny Green, it's Shake Milton right now, and DeAndre Jordan right now. Like that's. One guy who can only make a shot if it's a reverse alley-oop dunk. <laughs> like, literally can't make any other shot, including just a normal layup. Um, and that's three guys who are catch-and-shoot players at this point. Now, will there be nights that they give you, you know, 25 to 30 points? Yeah, like, if Shea can get going or whatever. But the the way this offense is built, the the four guys have to score. And, like, look. Tobias is playing really well right now. Will that continue? I don't know, but he's playing really well right now. Maxie's taking a little bit of a step back. I imagine those two will, you know, hit the seesaw a little bit, and Maxie will uh, will maybe take over a little bit. But, like, look, Embiid, Harden, Harris, Maxie, they're going to have to score the majority of your, of your points. And they, you know, despite our concerns about Harden, like, they're very capable of doing that. Oh, yeah, so, 100%. You know, I think the bench is – I think their overall lack of depth is – an issue. Um, I definitely don't think this is like an above average bench going into the playoffs, but I also think the Sixers play style will just make it so that they're not going to score a lot of points. That's just the way it is. No, the issue isn't who Doc is choosing to start. The issue is that you have four players you can rely on. And one of them, we just spent the first 20 minutes of this podcast saying, well, he's not really beating anyone off the dribble right now. Still, he's one of the four that you can rely on. It's just not as much as we need to rely on him because you have so few other options. There's no, like, uh, again, like I said, bringing George Niang in the starting lineup for Matisse or for Tyrese Maxey is not going to fix anything. It's just going to play Tyrese. It's, uh, I don't get it. I don't By the way, sp- speaking of bad bench, um, e- even with yesterday's blowout, do you know what Embiid and, and Maxey are off the court with, uh, or, on the court, those two without Harden, so basically their bench lineups. Do you so, know what they are in 256 minutes since the so trade? So Maxi and Embiid with bench players. 
plus two, plus three, minus five. Really? That's for, for the whole season. No, this is just without since, Harden. Oh, okay. Yeah, so since the Harden trade, okay. Two hundred fifty-seven minutes. That's getting up there, though. That's starting to happen. Come on, that's ridiculous. What? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, and that uh, I, I'd have to go through and look. I bet you that lineup was pretty good earlier in the season. It should be pretty good. They were the best two players for a team that yeah. was on a 50-win pace for yeah. the whole year. Yep. What are we talking about? Yeah. Yep. And and they suck against other bench lineups? Like, you know, as much as the DJ minutes are infuriating, as much as Millsap guarding Giannis is infuriating. And by the way, it is. It, it absolutely is. That's ridiculous. Like, that's the right stagger to play. And it's just not working right now. I, you know, so that's got to get fixed, like, now. Because I'm sorry, those two and bench bench guys against other bench players, they have to roast them. Like, because the, the DJ minutes I'm concerned about. And, and that's an example of like, look, that's not on Doc. Like, like they got to figure that out, those two guys. Um, yeah, that th- those those two without Harden on the whole season, so this includes before the trade, are a plus four. So for them to be playing this poorly now, um, and I think part of that might just be long season and weird shit happens. Uh, I think they would be better long term but that's weird and that's that's hurting you a lot right now um and i think right now it's hurting doc because he doesn't know entirely what to make of his rotations looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We've seen him go to that stagger of Maxi and Embiid and then Harden and Harris, and then he sort of went away with that, um, away from that, and now he's sort of gone back to that. And I think part of it is just that some players aren't performing up to their level. Uh, like you said, they should that, that pairing, what were they, negative five? Negative 4.4, sorry. That should never be, like, if you have Embiid and Maxi against bench units, that should never be a negative 4.4. I agree 100%. Yeah, you're right. They've experimented with the stagger, and that's kind of why they got stuck with the the Paul Millsap minutes against Giannis, and that I think the Sixers saw that and were like, all right, let's try something else. So they they went with the Maxi-Harris stagger and kind of kept Embiid and Harden on the court at all times. Actually worked for a couple games on the West Coast trip, First game back, they play Giannis and they stick with it because it was working. Yeah. And uh oh, yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, Joel not super happy about that. Um, one of yeah. his minutes minutes match with Giannis, and again, I think this is one. And, and look, we're not. We will criticize Doc when we feel it. I think if this was a playoff game, he probably would have. I think he would have changed that. Like I, like, look, he's he's got his foibles, and he certainly is yeah. on a on I think on a very very hot seat, but like. Come on, like but that's I, why I think going back to your point, like rewatching the Milwaukee game, I wasn't completely um, frustrated by that one. 
No, and if that they, got one, great, they got great shots in that game. If, that, if that one would have been followed by uh, what you expected the performance and the Pistons to be, uh, we probably all would have moved on pretty easily. Yeah. Seems like Joe's lost out on his MVP. Oh, yeah. Way. No, I think he's pretty clearly. He might be third uh, in likeliness of winning the MVP right now, which uh, is, it's tough. That sucks. It's tough. That uh, sucks. I just. And again, like the, I, I think most Sixers fans listening to this will probably think that's a travesty. No, both of those players are having MVP caliber seasons. All three of them are, if you throw Joel into the mix. It just would have been nice to see it because Joe's never won one. And he's been one of the three best players in the world for two years. Uh, and he's going to walk away with zero MP- MVPs to show for it. And with a player who has had the injury concerns and you hope he has a long, healthy career with m- many more years left on his prime, it would be nice to bank one of these here for his his legacy, quite frankly. Yeah. And he just, like, you know, I don't want to say that, like, he just deserves it. Like, he just always is the guy who's on the short end of these awards for games played or whatever, despite being, like, pretty much as good as the people who win it or better. <laughs> definitely better in the rookie of the year uh, case. Like he just, for whatever reason, he can't get the award that he's looking for. And he might not yeah. even get first team all NBA center. If this stupid voting thing happens, like, no, he won't. Or, I, I, or, I'm going out. Uh, I don't think he will. It would take such a concerted effort for voters. And I, I don't have a vote. And quite frankly, I'm happy. I don't think I should be determining player salaries, but it would take basically a concerted effort for all the voters to say, I'm going to vote this person as a forward and this person as a center. I just don't see it happening. I think a bunch of people, I think they're going to, first of all, going to be people who are going to vote them at the position that they play, which look, uh, by the rules, Joel is a center. Jokic is a center. It's people who think that way are going to, um, vote one as second team. And also some, there'll be some people who vote Jokic as a second team or as a as a forward. Some people who vote in bead. I think they're both going to end up being, so I guess the way it works, if you haven't seen one of us rant on Twitter about it, Whatever position you get the most votes at is where you are slotted as a all NBA player. So if Joel Embiid, let's say, gets 35 votes as a forward and 60 votes as a center, either first team or second team, he can only be an all NBA center. All of the points count, all of the votes count, but they will all go to one position or the other. It would take a concerted effort for all of the voters to be like, if you're voting, if you want both of them on a first team, vote Joel Embiid as a forward. And if there's not that sort of um, uniform directive, they're both going to be centers. By the way, too, and I see a lot of pushback to this. If your argument involves Embiid and Jokic not being on the first team, I think you're doing it wrong. Like, that's yeah. that's bad. Like, they they should just pick the five best players. And by the way, like DeAndre Jordan, he is a first-team All-NBA on his resume. You know why? At that point in time, the center was the weak position. Yeah. yeah. And and Andre Drummond had a third-team All-NBA. Like, the center is now loaded right now. And it's like, look, I understand Bill Russell and, and Will Chamberlain were duking it out 50 years ago. But, like, let's make some progress here. Like, we've changed a lot of things. Since then. <laughs> right. Right. And Absolutely. I also think, too, like, look, like, it's not like uh, it's not like football either. We're a quarterback, too. Like, like the... It's such a fluid game that, like, just because they're the two tallest guys on the court, like, they don't do exactly the same things either, too. Like, come on, you wouldn't say Nikola Jokic. Like, does he defend the pick and roll like Joel Embiid? Does he? Does the offense run through him like Joel Embiid? There's a lot of things that just. But more than anything, just pick the five best players. Like, just just do that. Like, if if your argument is 
I love traditional positions or whatever. You're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. Like, this is the only way we've ever done it. Because guess what? This is going to be a problem for like three or four more years, at least. Yep. But these guys are not getting any worse at basketball, these two. They they are going to be two of the best five players in basketball. And I don't know. Like, part of me is a little bit biased here because I think Joel deserves to make a first-team All-NBA unequivocally. Like, (laughs) He absolutely should. He's been one of the five best players by a mile. He should have been on first-team All-NBA last year as well. This should be his second consecutive year of that. And, you know, he's going to lose a coin flip MVP, and then he's not even going to make first-team All-NBA. That's, I feel bad for him. Like, that, you know, like, look, it's not the end of the world. It's it's an award. No. Yep. And something, it, it is true that I feel like over the past couple of years, as we've gotten more online, the, the awards have mattered more and more. Like, people really take this stuff seriously now. Well, because um, I mean, fucking... <sighs> I still think it's ridiculous that so uh, again if you don't if you're not in tune with that the all NBA voting can impact a player getting supermax eligibility so literally our vote or our colleagues votes can impact how much money Jason Tatum or Joel Embiid are qualified to make which is absurd <laughs> or, or Ben Simmons or Ben Simmons which is absurd but it's the way it is and that's why I put a little more thought into and again not, i don't have a vote um but i put a little more thought into these teams because they deserve us to put a lot of thought into these teams it's it's and it's frustrating you're 100 percent right on look joel b is going to be a top two player in the world two consecutive years running and won't make an all nba team meanwhile going back you had deandre jordan and um you know andre drummond making all nba teams when guards or wings were getting screwed out of recognition i think the all NBA team, a team which is never going to play together, never going to play together. Who cares? Who cares, who cares how much ball there? handling or perimeter defense? They have? <laughs> it should be there to recognize the players who are having the most impact on the season. And has it, is that the way it's always been done? No. And do I feel a little bit of sympathy for maybe Wilt Chamberlain's legacy? Not really. Wilt's, 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 Wilt's legacy. He's uh, fine. And his family is okay with, with his place in the sport. But just because we've been doing it wrong for a long time, doesn't mean we should continue doing it wrong. I would like to see the best players having the most impactful seasons rewarded for their efforts. Uh, and I, I, I think this is the right change to make. And I give a little bit of leeway to people who are like, well, but they have positions. So I'm going to vote by positions. If they remove positions, I'll vote differently. Okay. We need to change that. And there's part of me that wonders because these can't impact player salaries. If they want to wait until the new CBA to officially make this change. But until then, I think we got to do what's right to, Reward players who should be rewarded, and that's sort of where I stand on it. Look, and, and we—you just mentioned the, you know, the conundrum that voters have. Like, should we all vote him as forward? Like, if every single person voted Embiid as forward, then he would get on. He would get on the first team. But I don't think there's going to be that level of coordination. Um, if you so ask a hundred sports writers to list their top five players, Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis are making what? Every one of them. At least ninety-eight. There might be two dipshits in the hundred yeah. pool, but yeah, you're, they're you're making an idiot. If they're, they're not, they're making, they're making it. the overwhelming majority of ballots. This isn't that complicated. Just vote the best player. Very fresh. Yeah. So that's uh. Yeah, that that, that stinks. It's uh. I mean, I, like if you look back to Ben. By the way, like we we could say this now. I I'm pretty sure I said it at the time. The only reason Ben Simmons got extra money for an All NBA team is like literally every guard got hurt that year. And he had the positional flexibility to play both. I, I just don't understand why. Just because you only play one center, like, like 
who who gives a shit? Like, just just put them both on the team. To your That's point, I, I got in an argument on Twitter where somebody was like, well, do you get upset there's a kicker instead of two quarterbacks? It's like, there's no overlap. Like, if you draw a Venn diagram of their responsibilities, there's no overlap in the responsibilities of a quarterback and a the, the, the football. The football example the worst is, example is, is so the stupid. There's literally your responsibilities have zero overlap. You Whereas, literally start a play in the same spot every time. Right, too. right. Whereas with basketball, like, you're there to shoot. You're there to pass. You're there to score and defend. It's and do do these players example. play center because maybe they're taller than other players? Yeah. Sure. So should, do we, they... should we punish them because they're taller and more impactful at the rim? No. You're putting at the rim because they can make the most impact there, not because they don't have all the other responsibilities that other players do. And that's especially true for Jokic, who's a fucking point guard the vast majority of the time he's on a court on offense. It's just, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? They're not, it's not like a quarterback. It's not like a receiver. No, it's not it's the just, same at all. It's just people. Some people we saw just Tom, love, Brady. Tom Brady is not an all pro receiver. We know that. We know some that. people love the traditional one to five positions. You know, they just, yep. they love them. You know, it's like, you know, people like to say like that guy isn't a point guard or should you, know, you move James a, Harden to shooting guard? No, you should get another ball handler in the lineup, which they do. And Max, he's a I'd center. Like, I'd like, know, like to see them give like Maxie more, more scoring opportunities, but anyway. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I feel like yeah. I feel like we got off on a tangent and now we're 40 minutes into a podcast. Is there anything else other than James Harden? Um, <laughs> I feel like this has been the only James Harden, uh, a James Harden only podcast. But anything else you think is worth bringing up here before we close this one out? I mean, it'll be interesting to see where they finish. Like, you know, they yeah. have the... Right the now... Var- the variants that there could be a bunch of different things right now. Right now they are in the fourth spot. They are a half game behind Boston, who has lost a couple here of late after going on that tear. They um, don't own the tiebreaker in that one though. Yeah, apparently. And then they are uh, a game back of Milwaukee. Don't own the tiebreaker in that one, thanks to uh, Paul Millsap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then two and a half back of Miami. So yeah, I they still have a chance of finishing anywhere from two to four. I think Miami would be tough to catch here over the last, um, where they got five games left, but yeah. And I mean, looking at the bottom nets here have fallen a little bit. They are currently in 10th. They're tied for ninth with the Hornets. Um, so right now they would have to win two games to even make the eight seed, which would be perfect. Cause that means they're playing the heat and away from the Sixers. So it looks like the Sixers might be, and in order to catch, get up to that seven seed, they would need, well, they're only a game back of the, uh, playing for that seven seed. So I guess they're still, uh, they could end up in it too, but yeah, there's there's a lot, and quite frankly, with the way the Sixers are playing, like 
that four five with the Raptors would be pretty terrifying. Pretty terrifying. I agree with you. It would be terrifying, but like, I think if the Sixers could be like, can we freeze the standings here right now? We'll take it. Like they they would take it because some of the other options for sure, for sure. But you would prefer the Cavs or the Bulls over the Raptors for sure, right? I think so, but they're not of the caliber where I would sacrifice potentially getting Miami in the second round. I sure. mean, we'll see. We'll sure. see what happens with Brooklyn. Like it is funny that Brooklyn is this looming giant, and, and like they're one of the scariest teams ever. They very well could have to win two games on the road in yeah. in, in a play-in. Look, <laughs> like, they just even get in. They've lost five of their last seven here, and that's what they're, they're guys. Um, they yeah. are a very, very... Again, I, I sort of compared them to the Sixers, where I could see Brooklyn winning any one series. I can't see Brooklyn winning three to get to the finals. And I struggle right now to see the Sixers, with all of their faults, winning three to get to the finals, but they could beat any one team. Uh, I sort of look at Brooklyn and, and the Sixers in a similar way like that. But at least the Sixers are guaranteed a series, which Brooklyn is yeah. not. Yeah. Because of how crazy their season's been. And again, they could they could beat any team in the East or not make the playoffs. It is really, really strange. Really strange. And so, I, yeah. I I really thought, uh, and I think they have a pretty easy schedule here to close it out. I really thought when they got Kyrie as a full time player, they would start at least, you know, pulling away a little bit. They've been bad. I mean, they've had bad losses. They lost to that Charlotte team. Yeah. Yeah. That Charlotte team who the Sixers scored. It could have scored 200 points against. Like, come on. The Nets couldn't score 200 points against yeah. that team? Yeah. What? Uh, what's going on there? Uh, yeah. So it's... Uh, I-, I think they would take it just potentially getting Miami in the uh, in the second round. But you're right. Like, Toronto in the first round? I mean... Not perfect. G- but then again... Guess it. what? They're going to switch everything. Yeah. To there is no team that could play above their heads against the Sixers more than Toronto. Does that mean they have the talent to beat them? I don't know. But in terms of being a pain-in-the-ass defense that could cause the Sixers fits, yeah, they're, they, that could be a very frustrating situation. But if you can't beat Toronto, you're not. You stink if you can't not beat a, Toronto in a playoff You're league. not a championship contender. It sort of goes back to last year. If you can't beat the Hawks, then you're not. You're, uh, whoops. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is I think that would be a very tough series for Harden. On paper, Embiid should score like 45 points a game against On that team. On paper. But Nick Nurse is in yeah. his head too with yeah. all the crazy stuff they, that he does. So, and I mean, look, I know that game was at eight thirty on a Sunday night, so maybe we, you know, push that to the side. And it's a couple weeks ago at this point. But like, you know, they scored thirty nine points in the first quarter, and then just the faucet completely got shut off after. Yeah. That. So. Yep. Yeah. Fun times. All right. Well, I'm hoping here because the Sixers have some easier games coming up. Although they have one against that Toronto team. It'll be interesting to see who travels to that game. But the Sixers have some easier games here coming up. A lot against the Pacers. Another one against the Pistons. Which they better be able to quit themselves a little better. But a couple winnable games. Hopefully we have a more positive podcast. Hopefully James Harden finds his burst. um, And we can all of the concerns that we put can be laid to rest. But until then, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.